Beloved, we continue our study of the sixth petition of the Lord's Prayer. Can we say it together? And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We've had quite a lengthy study, as you know, with Thomas Watson in his book, The Lord's Prayer. It was the last section of his book. It was, you know, quite a bit of great things to go through together. And there's always overlap, so there's surely overlap here. But as I mentioned to you, I have three supplemental studies. Now, that doesn't mean three weeks. It's probably more than that. But three resources I'd like to give you supplemental studies on that I think will be the best way to close this study. As I put them up on Sermon Audio, I'm keeping it in the quote-unquote Thomas Watson study because I'm, I'm seeing it that way. could almost determine to, at least with this next first extra resource, you could almost make it its own study. I'm going to try not to do that. I'm going to try to skip more than I would if I was teaching through the whole book. But tonight what we're doing is we're going to give ourselves, and we'll be here more than once. Uh, The book just just reprinted by Northampton Press, uh, Dr. Don Kistler, our brother in our denomination in the Westminster Presbytery. He's in Florida. Uh, he used to do for years Solo Deo Gloria publications, which you'll see many of those books appeared in reprints in our library. Most of those are now, I think, sold through Dr. Beakey's uh, 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 work. But uh, this book he produced recently and sent it to us because we have supported him as a church over the last few years. Uh, the Great Duty of Keeping Ourselves from Iniquity. Now, this came in, as I told you, when we were still doing Thomas Watson's. Well, this is this is perfect timing. And if I don't open it now, when will I? And this, this ought to have some good stuff to, to contribute to the study. It had so many good things, I decided to save it for the end. But especially uh, because of, I think it's a great personal application for us to make. Now, this is a reprint by the Puritan John Whitlock. John Whitlock. So that's what we'll be looking at for at least two weeks, if not more. And of course, we won't be back until January. Um, But John Whitlock, he lived 1625 to 1709. And I'm going to give you a little bit of some introductory stuff, but I want to just tell you right away what we're studying. He's got this whole book on Psalm 18, verse 23. Uh, Leave it to the Puritans. They can write a whole book on uh, one verse, right? (laughs) Although this book, I'll encourage you when I'm done, it'll go in the library basket. I snuck it and, you know, borrowed it first. Um, it's actually a pretty quick read, a pretty easy read, and it's, pr- it's actually pretty large font too. So. But these are a series of sermons that he preached, and they, they, the publisher, by my understanding, were really, really encouraging him, please let us print these. And um, my understanding, I'll double check when I'm reading the introduction to you, it was about 40 years ago he had preached these sermons when they asked him to print them, and he finally acquiesced, all right, we'll do that. So um, that's interesting to know that they were desired for that long. Anyways, Psalm 18.23 is the verse we'll be looking at. And looking at it as a way to apply what we've studied, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. That can kind of stay generic, right? It isn't that Watson didn't bring it home directly, right, as the Puritans can, and even bring some specific applications, lots of things. But I think this verse, Psalm 18, verse 23, uh, is, is a really powerful verse to consider to go away from the study with Watson and try to apply it particularly to myself. Okay, now Isaac, pretty soon I'm going to ask you to raise your hand and remind me to turn to the confession. Okay, but not yet. I'll try to give you a look when I'm ready. Okay. So before I open that study, and and excuse me, let me read it. I keep forgetting. Psalm 18, verse 23. I don't think it's the whole verse, but it says, I was also upright, because I'm reading it out of the book. I was also upright before him, and I kept myself from mine iniquity. 
And that's the part that he's really giving attention to. He will look at the context. He will give us disclaimers as we had tonight and last week. Uh, I kept myself from mine iniquity. And what he's pointing out is not that just we have to be responsible for our own sins. And he, he's, he says, of course. He'll even point out that as nations and groups of people, we can need to be concerned about that. But even nations and groups of people, like individuals, what he's pointing out is we all have our own sins that are a particular temptation for us and we're particularly inclined to fall into. Uh, one day, I hope to study Acceptable Sins by Jerry Bridges. That's almost something I want to bring up because we might overlook a lot of things that might be our worst sins. But let's highlight one of the big ones is pride, right? We can tend to overlook things like that. But this, he's saying, I kept myself from mine iniquity. That is, he's really making an application. There is a sense in here, I need to be mindful of what are my particular problems that keep coming back at me, and I need to own killing them. I need to focus on them so I take control of them and stop them. Okay, so that's really the gist of this book, but I do want to share with you um, a couple of things. First, let me just share with you about the man, uh, John Whitlock, 1625 to 1709. Again, it's the series of sermons, The Great Duty of Keeping Ourselves from Iniquity from Psalm 1823. He was born in 1625. On June 23, 1642, he was admitted to Emmanuel College, Cambridge, graduating BA in 1645 and MA in 1649. He studied there under the venerable Ralph Cudworth. He held several pastorates before, uh, before in 1651, being appointed vicar at St. Mary's as a Presbyterian. In July 1662, he was indicted for not reading the common prayer. And even though the act of uniformity was not yet in force, he was suspended and his church closed. He preached in various places. As a result of the act of indulgence in 1687, he was able to return to Nottingham and resume his ministry there. His wife was the daughter of the celebrated Puritan Anthony Tuckney. He died on December 4th, 1709. Uh, what I want to highlight to you is some of these things you're hearing about, the act of uniformity, he wouldn't do the Book of Common Prayer. You'll remember with the Puritan times, there were all these different things trying to be forced and the Puritans were usually the ones who were willing to suffer and not do what their conscience wouldn't let them do, especially as it related to worship. You can't, the government can't force on us this common prayer that all the churches have to use. Much of the Book of Common Prayer is decent, but there are some things that would be not appropriate, uh, especially with sacraments and different things. So anyways, he was willing to suffer and lose his ministry. Many of them, especially the Presbyterians, they lost their ministries by standing for what they thought was the truth. They weren't willing to compromise. Uh, they weren't willing to sacrifice the truth um, just because of the movement of the broader church and the government at the time. Uh, what's interesting is at the end of this book, he has included uh, a couple of sermons. One of them is his farewell sermon to his church, preaching on Revelation. Uh, and he says, this is probably my last sermon to you. The government's not going to let me do this anymore because I won't, I won't do what they tell me to do, like a lot of nonconformists. So he actually preached a sermon. Uh, I'll t I'm not going to go over that, by the way. But it was um, based on, it's worth, I think, just highlighting. His farewell sermon was on Revelation 3, verse 3. Remember, therefore, how thou hast received and heard and hold fast and repent. Remember how you've received. He puts a lot about that. You know, if you've had the benefit of ministry for a long time, 
remember that and hold on to it during times where there might be droughts, different problems, things. So it's pretty powerful, his sermon on a farewell to the church. And then there's a sermon at his funeral in his honor. I haven't gotten to that yet. Um, Anyhow, I want to share a couple highlights from his epistle to the reader. So he has a little letter introducing his work, and I'll just highlight these two things. He says, men's finding out and keeping themselves from their iniquity is a matter of great and constant importance. And that wherein much of the life of religion and the power of godliness lies. Much of the life and religion and godliness, the power of godliness lies in knowing how to keep yourselves from your iniquities, especially the ones that particularly plague you. Then he says this, uh, well, no, this is noted. These sermons are now printed. Uh, They were preached 40 years ago. Uh, That's him writing, actually. 40 years ago, I preached these sermons on Psalm 1823. But they keep asking me, so I finally said, okay, we'll print them. So keep that in mind. People were asking for something 40 years ago. It's not like they had the internet to look it up and say, oh, great sermons. We've got to get these. You know, that's how powerful they must have been at the time. Keep that in view. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and start the study. But before I do, I wanted to take you to two texts. Pretty soon, Isaac, I'll have you raise your hand and remind me, but not yet. Uh, text we've already been to. Let's go. We're, we're still in a series on the sixth petition of the Lord's Prayer. We finished Thomas Watson. This is the first of three supplemental studies. And this one will at least be a couple weeks. Turn with me to Matthew. Uh, we can say it by heart, but I think it's always good to have it before our eyes. Matthew chapter 6 in the Sermon on the Mount. And it is near, it's, it's the last petition of the Lord's Prayer before the closing. And so it's verse 13, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Uh, so I ended up reading the end, but the closing of the prayer. But lead, me, lead us not into temptation, deliver us from evil. So you can have everything we learned of with Thomas Watson. We're going to apply that more particularly in a moment. I want to take you to First Chronicles 4 again. Jabez and his prayer that's highlighted in the mix of eight chapters of genealogies. All of a sudden, there's just this special prayer that comes and goes. And we benefit by studying it. Now, I did preach on this a while ago, if you wanted to look at it more. But I'm going to read for you from First, uh, First Chronicles, excuse me, chapter 4, uh, beginning at verse nine, uh, verses 9 and 10. First Chronicles 4, 9 and 10, the prayer of Jabez. And Jabez was more honorable than his brethren. And his mother called his name Jabez, saying, Because I bear him with sorrow. And Jabez called on the God of Israel, saying, Oh, that thou wouldest bless me indeed, and enlarge my coast, and that thine hand might be with me, and that thou wouldest keep me from evil, that it may not grieve me. And God granted him that which he requested. Now, when I preached on it, I gave you the point of the sermon, something like this, uh, pray to be honorable. If you look at all the parts of the prayer, it really has a view honoring God. God, help me to honor you with all of my life. Now, in particular, the, the, the last petition I want you to see, the prayer is very similar to the Lord's Prayer, and the last petition is very similar to the last petition of the Lord's Prayer. It says, I pray that you would keep me from evil. Right? Same idea. But then what does he also say? That it may not grieve me. That it may not grieve me. So what he's recognizing is that the effect of sin has a personal problem for me. And the Psalm 1823 that we're going to study for a little while with John Whitlock has that idea of personal ownership, 
personal problems, personal dealing with things, and that, that it's not just in general, please keep me from sinning. It's like, keep me from sinning. Keep me from my sins. Keep me from my sins that are my pets that I love. Remember, we studied that with um, Watson and also um, Derek Thomas, my precious pets, the sins I like the most that I actually take really good care of and I don't really intend to stop. Those are the ones we particularly have to say, I will keep me from mine iniquity. Okay, so turn with me now to our study tonight, and in a minute, I do want you, Isaac, to raise your hand and remind me to do the Westminster Confession, okay? Uh, A little bit of setup here for what we're going to study for a few weeks with John Whitlock. Psalm uh, 18, verse 23. Psalm 18, 23. I was also upright before him, and I kept myself from mine iniquity. So the last part, and I kept myself from mine iniquity, is the focus of what we'll be looking at. And this is what I really want. I think it's a very good way to apply more directly to each of ourselves what we've studied for a long time with Watson. Now we're going to be with John Whitlock, thanks to Northampton Press and our dear brother, uh, Dr. Don Kistler, in our denomination in Florida, in the RPCGA. Uh, Let's bring it closer to home. I kept myself from mine iniquity. And notice, it isn't just keep us from evil. I keep, I keep me from mine iniquity. Okay? So we're going to try to bring this closer to home and personal. Before I read some of his opening words in his first chapter, okay, Isaac, remind me now. No. Confession of faith. Okay, thank you. <laughs> now, I, 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 my gut says this is in the catechisms too, but would you turn with me to Confession of Faith, chapter 15? It's on repentance unto life. Chapter, if you have it, if you don't, don't sweat it. I didn't ask you to bring it. Um, I dabble in it sometimes, but there's no way for you to know when I decide to do that. And last time is the last minute when I'm reviewing. Confession of Faith, chapter 15, is where I'm going to take you. Okay? And I'll read for us. I just have to continue to learn. Whoops, that's the wrong way. I have to remember how to use my smarty pants phone here. Uh, okay, chapter 15, Repentance unto Life. I'm going to look at sections 5 and 6. Actually, let me read section 1 first, because it does essentially tell us what repentance is. And that's worth reviewing before we study what I want to comment about it later in the chapter. And it's very much what is said in our larger and shorter catechism. Confession of Faith, chapter 15 of Repentance Unto Life, section 1. Repentance unto life is an evangelical grace. The doctrine whereof is to be preached by every minister of the gospel as well as that of faith in Christ. Oh, excuse me. That's not defining it. It's telling us it's an important grace from God and it needs to be preached. (laughs) Just as much as the gospel, repentance needs to be preached. Because it is part of the gospel. Okay, actually, section two. You think that's funny, do you, little girl? My my Juliana laughing at me. You're not supposed to draw attention when daddy makes a mistake, okay? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. (laughs) I'm telling you, sometimes you really think they know what they're doing, you know? (laughs) <laughs> All right, now you're just distracting me, cutie pie. All right. <laughs> so, by the way, if you have a comment or question other than Juliana, let me know. I'll pass the mic. I might give it to Juliana too, but okay. Uh, I'll just need somebody to translate. Section two. Here's, here's the definition. By it, that is repentance, a sinner out of the sight and sense, not only of the danger, but also of the filthiness and odiousness of his sins, 
as contrary to the holy nature and righteous law of God, and upon the apprehension of his mercy in Christ to such as are penitent, so grieves for and hates his sins, as to turn from them all unto God, purposing and endeavoring to walk with him in all the ways of his commandments. So notice it's a his sin, a hatred. I hate my sin. I grieve over my sin. And I'm asking God to help me walk better with him, okay? So have that in view. Now, sections 5 and 6 I want to read. Section 5 of chapter 15 of the Westminster Confession of Faith. Men ought not to content themselves with a general repentance, but it is every man's duty to endeavor to repent of his particular sins particularly. Now, I, I thought that would be important to bring to our attention tonight because, again, Psalm 1823 is our bringing in God's providence. This book sent to us recently in the mail from Dr. Kistler, Psalm 1823 with John Whitlock, I take care of my own iniquities, right? 1823, I kept myself from mine iniquity. So as we ask God to keep us from sin, deliver us from sin, or deliver us out of it when we've gotten ourselves into it, we take personal a response, and we recognize that involves personal repentance over our sins, not just in general, but particular things I've done, things I've thought, things I've said, and then in particular, which John Whitlock is going to point out, things that I keep going back to, things that are almost my master. He's going to make a distinction about that between unregenerate and regenerate, but things, things that really trouble me. And I've got to own that and do something about it by God's grace, by his work in me. Um, Section 6 of Confession 15, I'll close with. As every man is bound to make private confession of his sins to God, praying for the pardon thereof, upon which and the forsaking of them he shall find mercy. So he that scandalizeth his brother or the church of Christ ought to be willing by a private or public confession and sorrow for his sin to declare his repentance to those that are offended who are thereupon to be reconciled to him and in love to receive him, to forgive him. But keep in mind there's that particular ownership of particular sins towards particular people as well, right? Sometimes it needs to be dealt with privately, sometimes publicly, depending on what happened. But section 5 especially, I'll, I'll read it one more time and close this part. Men ought not to be content. Excuse me. Men ought not to content themselves with a general repentance. But it is every man's duty to endeavor to repent of his particular sins particularly. Okay? And as we know that Watson teaches us, this also has in view praying positively. Help me to make progress in holiness. You focus on things you should be trying to make holy progress in. And he's going to talk about that too. Okay, let me, let me read for you now some excerpts from John Whitlock. You'll see all these memo stickies. While they may look a lot, I just want you to t- see I have a witness that I'm not giving you everything, okay? Unlike Watson, where I pretty much looked at every highlight, I'm, I'm going to try to skip over more uh, with you. But um, I, think it's, I think this has such a powerful way to apply the Lord's Prayer we studied. Uh, I, I, I don't want to just gloss over it either. I think it'll be to all of our benefit. Okay, thanks for understanding. One more time, Psalm 18, verse 23, his verse for the book. I was also upright before him, and I kept myself from mine iniquity. And again, the last part, I kept myself from mine iniquity. Okay, first of all, he says, first of what I'm going to share with you, setting the Lord before me, carrying myself in the habitual frame of my heart, and in the general course of my conversation as being under God's eye. And he's looking especially at the first part of the verse that says, uh, I was also upright before him. 
Always have in view that everything, wherever you are, you're always before God, right? He's everywhere. He's omnipresent. Uh, he is everywhere. As we studied recently with a sermon, he's even in hell. There's no escaping God. He is everywhere. We're always before him, right? In a sense, he's always before us. So we need to set the Lord before us. Always habitually have a frame of heart and a course of conversation, way of living that is under God's eye. Uh, I'm going to give you a couple scriptures I won't turn us to because of time, but Psalm 116 verse 9, we turn there a lot for preparing for the Lord's Supper. It talks about what I will do before the Lord, right? I'm going to take the cup. I'm going to swear, renew my vows before the Lord. I'm going to, I'm giving myself to the people in the congregation before the Lord. There's a sense of always being in God's presence. Uh, I'm going to give you scriptural references, but I'm not going to turn there with you for sake of time. You've had sermons on them. That's why they come to mind. So you can go back and get a lot more if you want to hear it on sermon audio. Genesis 17, 1, God says to Abraham, walk before me. Walk before me. Which has the same sense of, I'm with you. You're before me as you walk. In Genesis 17, uh, excuse me, Genesis 24, 40, Abraham says, the Lord before whom I walked sense of I was always walking before the Lord. I always had a sense that I was walking before the Lord. He doesn't claim to be perfect. We know from the scriptures he wasn't perfect. But he had, in, he had a frame of mind. I walked before the Lord. And then uh, similar phrases mentioned by his, his patriarchal progeny, 48.15. Again, I walked before the Lord before whom I walked. The Lord before whom I walked. Something I think we all want to be able to t- say to our, to our children. Not, not I did this, but the Lord kept me before him, our good shepherd. Uh, Some other things I want to share with you. He says, David does not arrogate to himself or ascribe his keeping himself from his iniquity to his own strength. Now, remember, that's what we closed the whole study with Thomas Watson last week, right? Ask God. Ask God. Don't do this in your own strength. The whole idea is the context of the prayer. Our Father, help me do these things, right? Okay, so... uh, Whitlock goes on to say, uh, David, similarly here, he recognizes in the context and even the beginning part of the verse, he's before God. He relies on God to own and control uh, his own sins, own them and deal with them and work on minimizing them. Uh, Whitlock goes on to say, uh, and readily acknowledged, David readily acknowledged that he could not keep himself, but that it was God, his special grace, and the continued and renewed aids of his spirit that could keep him from his iniquities and enable him to walk uprightly before him. So again, sanctification is uh, is a work of God's free grace. It's God's free grace, the Holy Spirit, but we remember that there is a Uh, progressive sanctification involved in the answer of our catechisms, and there is a sense of our cooperating with the Holy Spirit, right? If we live in the Spirit, Paul says in Galatians 5, let us also walk in the Spirit. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit, Paul says, right? Um, Don't grieve him. Don't quench the Holy Spirit. So there's an aspect of cooperating and therefore growing in godliness sooner and better, right? And that includes killing of sin. Now, I'm not going to turn there for sake of time because we sang them already before we started the study tonight. And we've looked at them in the other study. But I want to remind you, Psalm 19, 13 to 14 says, Lord, don't let me be taken over by presumptuous sins, right? Uh, It's asking the Lord to keep clean, the Lord to provide. And Psalm 51, verses 9 to 14, you could quote the whole psalm. David is saying, create in me a clean heart, O Lord. Renew a right spirit within me. 
Renew unto me the joy of thou, thy salvation. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Now he's owning his sin, remember, after being called out by Nathan the prophet of adultery and murder. But he doesn't try to say, oh, I got to make up for this myself. No, he begs God to change him from within and help him live better. We got to remember as we study all of this, never start to think this is something you do on your own. This is the work of God in you by his spirit through the blood of Christ as Christians. And you need to respond and follow him and grow with him. But it isn't something you can start or end or keep going on your own. It's the Holy Spirit working in you. Remember to pray for more of the Holy Spirit. Okay? So here's his main doctrine from this study of Psalm 18, 23. It is the duty of all who profess to be God's people as evidence of their sincerity to keep themselves from their special sins, those that they are most prone to and may properly be called their iniquity. So he's saying in particular, you have special sins. Now that doesn't mean special like they're better or good. No, it means you treat them special like your little pets, right? From our other studies with Watson and, and, Tom, and uh, Derek Thomas. He says, so in particular, what we should have in view, you all, each of us have our own special sins, one man's special sin isn't a special sin of another or woman. There are certain sins that certain people just struggle with more. For whatever reason, Satan can tempt them more with them. And they're a greater battle, and that's where we have to focus our attention on. As we would ask God to help us apply, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. Pay attention especially to the ones you need the most help with. Okay? The most powerfully tempting, the most regularly drawing you into them that you have to pray help to get out of. That's what you need to focus on, your special sins. He says, those that are most prone to, you are most prone to, may properly be called your iniquities. There's a sense of like, that's my iniquity. You name it in your head, whatever it is, that's my iniquity. Like, I got to own that. That's my particular problem. I have to pray about in repentance particularly. Okay? And again, the goal is that we make progress, holy progress. That's going to happen when we really deal with something that we actually don't want to deal with because it's going to take more work and it's going to take more pain, right? Okay, but the benefits will be so wonderful and it is what we're praying for in the sixth petition. Okay, uh, I'm going to move on. He does talk about, of course, all of our sins are our sins we have to own, and we can't blame others. Original corruption, our own sins. Uh, but then he says, uh, though there are the seeds of all sins in every man because of original sin, and though we all do all sins, he says, yet there is a propensity in every man and woman to some particular sins more than to others. There are also some particular diseases that some are more prone to than others, according to the prevalence of some particular humor. You know, we all have our own different physical things, right? Certain things run in families, or certain person, for whatever reason, has a certain ailment that others have no problem with. It's the same with sin. Some of us just have certain things that plague us more that others don't have a problem with. We got to focus and own on mine iniquity. Again, Psalm 18.23, I kept myself from mine iniquity. You want to be asking God to help you to be able to say that as you pray the sixth petition. He goes on to say, just like people have different bodily issues, not the same, so in reference to the body of sin, besides a general disposition to all sin, there are particular sin persons are more strongly inclined to, some to gluttony, some to drunkenness and unclean lusts, others to anger, wrath, 
malice, revenge. Another to covetousness. There is some predominant sin or other. What is your predominant sin? Some may relate. Uh, I've heard often pastors explain how I see certain sins relate. You have this one, you're sure to see the other. But what are the predominant sin or two? And that's what you really want to be honest about before the Lord and say, I will take mine iniquity. He goes on to write, John Whitlock, all have the seed of every sin in them. This man of sin has all its faculties, senses, members. But yet everyone is more inclined to some particular sins that may be more properly called our own iniquities, our own way, and our own doings. He highlights Jeremiah 18, 11, Matthew 5, 29 to 30. Um, I'm also going to mention, but uh, for sake of, this is a lot of overlap, uh, I'm not going to go to these verses tonight to try to finish. Uh, Hebrews 12, right, you know, let go of those sins that so easily beset us. And some of us, there are certain sins that easily beset us more than others, right? I always marvel, for instance, how uh, our sister Eleanor can let ice cream turn into crystals in her freezer, Ain't happening in my house, <laughs> which is why I try to keep it out other than birthdays. Problem is we have a lot of birthdays, you know, or uh, my understanding, I think she's talked about, uh, she can have a box of chocolates in her house and can eat one maybe once a day or once a week. Yeah, that thing is going to last. That ain't happening in my house. You know, <laughs> If I'm the only one in my house, that ain't happening in my house, you know. So, you know, I have to be careful about things that are not a problem for her. Okay, just as an example. Um, but he also does talk about um, that uh, this is true not only for a person, but people and nations. Uh, you know, some nations have enough of individuals, this thing, you kind of, it's a learned environmental thing, right? Especially if, if all of the people in a certain place call evil good and good evil, and a certain evil particularly, you know, can tend to become something that becomes more of a thing about the people. Uh, for, instance, for instance, and he gives this reference later, Titus 1 verse 12, what are the Cretans known for? Lying. Yeah, by the way, the Bible says, don't think you're going to heaven if you're a habitual liar. The Cretans were particularly known for being liars. That's profound, isn't it? There are times when certain people groups, based on cultural developments, uh, are known for particular sin more than others. Right? Um, and that can be true of a family, for instance, right? A lot of what we do is what we've learned. What is tolerated, what is accepted, what is not dealt with, right? A lot of it's that. It isn't genetic. It's passed on by habit and behavior. Okay. Upon account of these sins, we find particular persons branded in Scripture. That's what he's saying. Like, you know, when Paul talks about certain people as sinners, he doesn't call them alcoholics. He calls them drunkards. Like people become known by their sins, not a disposition, but they're giving themselves over constantly to certain sins more than others, right? Adulterers, fornicators, liars, they become so well known for their sin, they become branded or identified with it. And that's what you need to think about. If you were to be branded, if you were to be exposed, if I were to be exposed publicly for what my particular problem is, what would it be? Work on it. Okay. I'm going to skip ahead a little bit here. John Whitlock writes, It is the duty of all who would prove themselves sincere to keep themselves unspotted from the present prevailing sins, those that their own hearts, the times and places wherein they live, 
are most addicted to. By the way, you don't deny that there are addictions. That's just sinfully giving yourself over to a habit where it becomes so hard to not give yourself to it. That's a very different thing. That's real. All right, he writes this. Though there is a proneness and inclination in all men, even in the regenerate as well as unregenerate, yet there is a great deal of difference in those that may be called men's own, between them as they are in the godly and in the ungodly. And therefore you must distinguish between a beloved lust, a Delilah, and a prevailing tyrannizing corruption. In the unregenerate, it is a beloved lust. In the regenerate, it is, though a prevailing, yet but a tyrannizing corruption and a continual grief and burden to them. By the way, we're almost done with the study tonight. He's giving a pastoral disclaimer here, and he's going to bring this theme through all the chapters. There are some who are unregenerate. They're not Christians. For them, this thing owns them. They're owned by it. Okay? He wants you to know if you're a Christian, don't think you're not a Christian if you have a particular problem you got to deal with. You got to deal with it. That's the whole point, right? But he doesn't want you who are true Christians to think you're not Christians because there's a habit you got to deal with better, right? That you got to kill more, okay? And so it's very pastoral comment at the end. We're going to close with that, but he's making a distinction. He says, in the unregenerate, it is a beloved lust. In the regenerate, it is, though, a prevailing, yet but a tyrannizing corruption and a continual grief and burden to him. So it's not a light issue, but it's not that you're owned by it, okay? He goes on to say this. This is the pastoral comment, okay? Remember, these are sermons I'm reading to, in part. He says, this distinction should be heeded that men may not pass a wrong judgment on their spiritual state. It's really important, especially some who are more sensitive, and uh, it might even not be a particular sin of yours. It could be somebody else in the pews that uh, the preacher wishes was paying attention and doesn't appear there's any conviction about. And another person, that sermon, they didn't have that person in mind at all. They're the ones coming up more convicted. You know, It may or may not be one for you, but if it is, what he's saying is, don't think that your spiritual state means you're not a Christian. You've got to hear that, right? Just as I've tried to emphasize when we pray, lead us not into temptation, deliver us from evil. And we look at all the muck of it and all the stuff we've got to deal with. The whole point is pray. God, why did Jesus say pray? Get me out of this. Help me do better. Help me make progress in piety. It isn't to go home and shut the door and stay out of the world, right? Or take yourself from the world. That's not it. Uh, a few more pastoral comments from John Whitlock and we'll close. It is a certain truth. Grace cannot consist with an entirely, heartily beloved lust. So if there's something that you just want and you don't care and you're not convicted and if somebody tries to touch you with it, you're about to kill him for it, don't you touch my pet. I don't want to hear about it. You have no interest. You have no conviction when you're confronted. Even if it's just something you know privately, nobody publicly sees. That's a dangerous thing. You might not be a Christian. If there's something that you need to deal with and others have been trying to confront you about it and you don't want to deal with it, especially if it's as Jerry Bridges says, one day we'll get to this book for study, hopefully, uh, Acceptable Sins, right? Then there's a really big danger. Uh, He says that cannot uh, exist together with a a certain uh, heartily beloved lust, right? But if you're grieving over it, you hate it. Don't forget the Bible says an honest man gets up seven times, right? 
Okay. And I'll close with this quote, and we'll finish the first chapter. I, I didn't have time to look through this more carefully because I had all those interviews today. Um, so I'm going to see if I can't skip a couple chapters and only give you parts of it. Unless you guys are demanding, no, give, give us every chapter. Well, then I will. It's okay. But I, I'm intending this to be supplemental, so I, I don't want to make it as long. as It would never be as long as Watson's. But nonetheless, I'm, I'm going to look through it. But we have, just so you know, for reference point, we've gotten through the first chapter, which is opening of the words opening and generally explaining of the words of this psalm. Psalm 19.23, I was also upright before him, and I kept myself from mine iniquity. And he closes with this. The sensual appetite even of a godly person may be tickled, and at present pleased with some sin he is particularly inclined to. Yet it is not a beloved lust if as soon as he discovers it, and the present heat of the temptation is over, he mourns over it, watches, prays, believes, and with his most diligent endeavors, strives against it, and does not make provision for it. That's the end of the study. I think that just to encourage us as we get ready to have to get hit between the eyes for a little bit, I'm going to deal with mine iniquity, right? Particularize it and pray particularly, repent particularly and, and, uh, and uh, keep myself from mine iniquity as he's described this in particular. Um, what he's talking about is you want to recognize you, want to, you don't want to avoid before the Lord, and there's times to have others help you with confession and support, but you don't want to avoid before the Lord what you know is a particular problem for you. God knows, right? And as long as you avoid it, it's there, right? So there's, there's nothing wrong. In fact, it's entirely right to confess before the Lord, to bring it before the Lord and say, okay, I've been avoiding talking about this with you, Lord. And even when I do talk with you, the truth is I barely talk about it. I just, I just skate around it or ski right over it, you know. Lord, it's time for me to come clean. It's time for me to own this. It's time for you to beat this out of me. Help me. I cannot do it, but I need you. Please help me. Whatever it is, it may not be the same thing all the time that he talks about that. It can change and move. So try to think about now. And it may not be that big, horrible thing that you think about uh, uh, that you have grown a lot in. It may be something else that you tend to excuse yourself of as an acceptable sin. Jerry Bridges will talk about. I keep giving that highlight. It's probably going to be years in the making, but someday I intend for us to go to that book. Why? Because I haven't read it and I want to read it, but I'm pretty sure it'll be good for all of us to read it together. But at the end of the day, what are you going to do with our study for the last year and a half of Thomas Watson? What are you going to do with it? What am I going to do with it? When I saw this book, I said, oh yeah, I got to read this. We have to read this. We don't just pray generally, Lord, show me my sins. Show me the sins I particularly have a problem with. And let's go there and let's get cleaned up and help me to own it and help me to have power over it and the Holy Spirit and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and trust that as I deal with that, as he's going to talk about, other things will also improve. Okay? But sometimes you can be sort of tempted to try to deal with everything, maybe like Luther, you know. Focus on the main thing, deal with it, and a lot of other things will be shaken out of it as well. Let's uh, close in prayer. Thanks for bearing with me with this supplemental study. Lord in heaven, we do pray against our own personal sins particularly, 
And pray, O oh Lord, that you help us be able to say, I have taken mine iniquity. I've taken responsibility for my particular problems. And I want to see you by your grace and power in me through Jesus Christ, the living, risen Lord, to work in me, to kill my filthy old self in these areas. And Lord, it may be something that the world and even much of our Christian culture almost excuses and laughs over and makes light of. But we know some of those things are actually the worst and out of the heart is what everything comes from. Lord Jesus, help us to apply our study particularly now with Psalm 1823 for a few weeks before we close with other supplemental studies uh, that will, I trust, empower us as more than conquerors in Christ our Lord who has conquered Satan. And we pray your blessing on us uh, to grow and make progress in piety in great ways in areas we're weakened as we would deal with those things that are too strong in our lives. And we need you to conquer. And you can and you will. God helping us, we will pray that we do not grieve the Holy Spirit or quench him, but we listen and we pray and we go there. And that you take us from there where we need to go in this study and that we make progress, that we grow in sanctification. We pray your blessing on us to go out encouraged. And we pray in Jesus' name and all your people said, Amen.